Let's uh, turn once again to the book of 1st Peter and we'll continue our studies over there. And this time we would begin from verse 22 through to verse 3 of chapter 2. First Peter chapter 1, 22 onwards. And I read from the King James. And it says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of god which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away but the word of the lord endureth forever and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby if so be ye have tasted that the lord is gracious now before we look into the word of the lord let's look at the lord of the word father in the name of jesus we are thankful for the holy scriptures lord in it we find ourselves and in it we find our savior for indeed o lord you spoke unto us in the morning that when the children of israel came to mara where the water was bitter and moses cried out on behalf of the children you showed moses a tree father even today you are showing us a tree on the mount of calvary that tree that makes every mara a neomi that tree that makes everything bitter sweet father help us that we shall look unto that tree show us that tree unto them that have not seen it before that tree on calvary and to us who have seen that tree help us to gaze helpfully unto it 
that our lives may be transformed. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be well pleasing in your sight. Give us a loyal heart and an obedient mind. Ears to hear and tenderness of heart to obey. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Well, here in these uh, scriptures that we just read, Peter gives another another admonition unto the people. And I have no doubt in my mind that any one of us here in the Bread of Life have not heard the commandment, you shall love. I'm confident, a hundred percent, that all of us have heard this commandment, love one another. And perhaps Peter also knew that this was nothing new. This was not a new commandment. Therefore, this afternoon, the Holy Spirit is giving a gentle reminder. A gentle reminder, a, a timely reminder of a timeless commandment. So if you've heard this commandment earlier, we need a gentle reminder. In fact, we love reminders. We have reminders for everything. I love that little thing in the kitchen that goes ding. Just to remind you that there's something on the stove. So that your cake is not burnt. So that your husband doesn't eat burnt offerings. In fact, I was with a colleague and that was the first time I saw a reminder even to important things of life. You know these little reminders that pop up on the screen and this person had a reminder which says, drink water. And it pops up every one hour. And I thought that's a good reminder. Because we think we are not thirsty while our body is dehydrating. Therefore I adopted that, now my computer gives me a Reminder every hour which says, drink water. And sometimes when you're doing a presentation, it pops up and everyone looks at you as if you're weird. And there are other helpful reminders as well. Some of our phones have got helpful reminders. And one of them would be, call your parents. Yeah? Am I speaking to someone? Phone your wife. Now that's a very helpful reminder. Pick up your daughter from music school. Reminders. Therefore, would you allow the Holy Spirit to remind you to love one another? This afternoon, as you sit in the presence of God and as you look at the Word of God, and as you have read these few scriptures, would you allow the Spirit of God to talk to you and say, Thank you for that reminder. We live in a busy world. 
Now you wonder why Peter brought up this particular commandment. Why not live in boldness? Or why didn't he bring a commandment which says pray fervently? Why this particular commandment at this particular juncture? Because his audience lived in stressful times. We live in stressful times. We don't have time for anything. And therefore we need to make time out for such simple things. And from the passage that is before us, I want to point out just two thoughts on how we could press on to keep this commandment. These are just two thoughts that I've gathered from here which helps us to press on towards this commandment. If the Spirit of God is reminding you, then do take note. Reading it says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. Verse 23, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Therefore, these two verses, I draw your attention to a past significant event that has already happened. So when this commandment comes unto you and me, it comes with the enablement of the word of God. That's my first thought. I want to leave with you with this thought that we are empowered by the word of God to love one another fervently. Empowered by the word of God. Now I want to substitute the word of God with something that you and I can relate to more easily, which is the word gospel. The gospel. You and I have been empowered by the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. To love one another fervently. In Romans chapter 5. We turn to that as we look at the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the capacity to love. Now what brings us or what gives us the capacity to love one another fervently? Have you wondered... What gives you and I this capacity? Are you able? You might be wondering, sitting over there and saying, I don't know if I have that power. Romans chapter 5. I want you to see the gospel over there. Beginning from verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. 
That's the gospel. The enablement to love your neighbor as yourself comes from the gospel because the gospel has demonstrated. It has not just commanded a dry commandment. It has demonstrated unto you and I that we need to love. To love. In Matthew, in Mark chapter 10, there was this rich young ruler who comes to the Lord Jesus and asks, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? As if there were a list of things that he needs to do. And Jesus helpfully brings out the second part of the Ten Commandments, which relates to a neighbor. Have you noticed that? Now, if that were the only scripture given unto us, what does it tell you? It tells you that there is something that you could do to inherit eternal life, i.e., love your neighbor. What does it say in Mark 10? It says, you shall not covet, you shall not steal, you shall not... These are all personal Commandments, they were never, you shall have no other God before me. Jesus didn't bring that up. And then this man was self-righteous. He said, I've kept that from the beginning. And then even before Jesus would bring out an explanation for this, he says, and then Jesus loved him. He loved him. And he loved him and he said, one thing you lack. But the point over there is that Jesus points to this truth time and again. There was a lawyer who came and asked the Lord Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? We know that. That's in Matthew 22. And Jesus replied and said that, Ye shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 6, which every Jew had to learn by heart. That's the first scripture perhaps that he would learn when he goes to Bible school. And Jesus quoted that and that man was almost ready to turn around and walk away when Jesus said, And the second one is as good as the first, which is that ye shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, on this hangs the law and the prophets. That means that everything that was said from the book of Genesis, even unto John the Baptist, they contain two things. One is, love the Lord, love your neighbor. That's it. Do you see what God is calling the bread of life to do now? Do you see the, the importance of the timely reminder? Another lawyer walked up to Jesus and asked the same question. But this time, when Jesus finished, he asked, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave the 
parable of the good samaritan even before that i want to pause and i want to ask you that if the first commandment says you shall love the lord your god and the second commandment says you shall love your neighbor as yourself and the second one is like the first my question is have you loved your neighbor as much as you love god i mean loving god is easy right because god is faithful because god is on time because god is patient he doesn't yell back at you god is tender he's dependable but your neighbor he's rude at times he doesn't keep up his promises he borrows and not, does not repay he takes from you and forgets about it can i speak to you leaders he doesn't come for cell meetings even after you send him a hundred reminders he's not here in church for thursday intercessions he doesn't come for night vigils he's even plain outright worldly can you love him can you begin to love him can you begin to love that person whom you can't control you see this is what i discovered when the lord dealt with me through this because i believe that god makes the messenger before he makes the message it's true it's true if you are preparing a message at any time even for a home bible study let me tell you god prepares the messenger before he prepares the message he had to prepare moses before he could shepherd millions of people in the outbacks when god dealt with me through this one thing i remembered i asked the lord why do i get upset with the people and the lord said because you're losing control in our own natures we want to control people and when we don't get to control them we get upset with them why do we yell at our children because we can't they don't listen why don't we it's because we can't control them it's easy to love someone who listens to you every time i call someone he's there at the bible study oh i love him but then there's someone who doesn't come do i love him as much And the Lord said another thing why do you look at this speck in your brother's eye when there is a mote in your own 
That was for me, not for you. I mean, I had to be invited a hundred times before I went for the first cell meeting. And now I get angry with them. I'm going to get some text messages after this from my cell members. But over the past one week, the Lord has dealt with me. I trust the Lord will deal with you in Jesus' name. Because this is a timely reminder of a timeless truth. And the Greek word used over here for love is, we know that, it's agapao. In fact, you don't find this word in classical Greek. This is found only in the Bible. In the classical Greek, there are other words. There is philio, which is love between brothers. There is storge, which is Love, which is more like a parental affection. There is eros, which is love between a husband and a wife. But you don't find agape, agapao, or agape love. The noun is agapao. Agape is the verb form of it. You don't find that in classical Greek. Why? Because it's difficult to explain. Now, what's the difference? Agape love means it's a love of the will. Love is hard work. If anyone told you that love was easy, he hasn't experienced it. Someone said that I haven't met a man that I could not love. And then somebody sent him a note saying you haven't met my husband. When Jesus says love your enemies, it's a matter of the will. I mean, none of us waltz up to our enemy and say, I love you. Sometimes it's difficult to tell our wives, I love you. Sometimes it takes will to tell our wives, I love you. Because the book of Proverbs says it's better to live on the, in a, in a cotton box on your terrace than to live with a contentious woman. That's my paraphrase of it. But the Bible says love, love, agapao. I don't want to sound chauvinistic, but this love is manly. Does not mean that women cannot express this love. What I meant is that this love takes muscles. This love is an act of the will. This love loves without expecting a return. This love goes the second mile. You see the point? This love turns the other cheek. 
this love gives the outer garment and the inner garment to one who has come to borrow. Agape love. And Peter was reminded of this because he learnt it from the Lord. Because three times Peter denied his Lord and the Lord asked, do you love me? I mean, do you seriously love me, Simon Peter? Are you sure you love me, Peter? And by the last time, I'm sure there were tears in Peter's eyes. Today when the Lord Jesus Christ asks you, can you love your neighbor as I have loved you? I mean, it's easy to love Jesus. Comparatively, don't get me wrong. To live above with saints in mansions of glory. But to live with my brother here on earth, that's a different story. Love your neighbor. In Luke chapter 10, there was a man who wanted to justify himself and he asked, Who is my neighbor? I mean, who is my neighbor? And Jesus did not give a straightforward reply. I am glad he did not. He did not say the man who lives in your same flat, he is your neighbor. The man who works with you, he is your neighbor. The one who studies with you in school, he is your neighbor. I mean, define neighbor. Go to the new Jerusalem dictionary and take, look up the word neighbor. You will find neighbor in that. He didn't do that. Instead of that, he explained what a neighbor should do. I mean, isn't that so wonderful? Jesus said over here, he said, And then Jesus answered and said, A certain man, I'm reading from verse 30 of Luke 10. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, note that word, he had compassion. I mean, before we even begin to learn what, who our neighbor is, do we have compassion? Compassion. He had compassion, so he went him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, out, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, Brought him to an inn. Took care of him. And the next day, 
When he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. In effect, he was saying, put that on my tab. So, when of these, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the man was smart, he replied, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know what a good neighbor would do? Number one, he would have compassion. Number two, he would bear the expense. Love is hard work. Love is costly. Whenever you hear hear the word love, think about sacrifice. Because you cannot love without sacrifice. If If you've begun to love, you've begun to sacrifice. And if you've not begun to sacrifice, you've not even begun. You've not even touched the edge of love. Who spent the time? The Samaritan. Who, who, who bore the financial loss? The Samaritan. Did the other man have Anything he did, did he do anything deserving? Was he worth it? I mean, you and I love when it is convenient, when the other person is worth it. In John 13, Jesus saw Gethsemane in the distance. He saw Calvary. He saw the tomb. He saw the ascension. He saw the pain, the separation, the glory, all before him. And the Bible says, beginning from verse 1, He loved them unto the end. A bunch of ragtag people who Who Jesus knew one of them would betray him and the eleven others would deny him. It was not just Peter. The Bible says that in the garden of Gethsemane all ran. In fact to the advantage of some of the sisters over here. The only people at the foot of the cross were women. Shows something about courage. Tells you something about love. Except John, of course. There was no one at the foot of the cross. And here, Jesus does something so tender. And after supper being over, Jesus rose up and he girded himself with a towel. And took a basin and poured water into it. And then he walked up to one of his disciples. And he said, I want to wash your leg. Can I do it? Can I wash your leg, Pastor? I mean, I want you to see this. 
He washed Judas's feet. He took time. It was not hurriedly, quickly finishing the job. He poured the water on the feet, wiped it clean, took the towel, dried it, took the other leg, washed it. When was the last time we washed someone's feet? When was the last time we took a moment to hold someone's hand and pray? There's a man named Onesiphorus. He was a man who died. I think he was dead at the time of writing this. Paul mentions the household of Onesiphorus. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And he says, Greet the household of Onesiphorus, for he refreshed me often. He was not ashamed of my chains. He refreshed me often. When was the last time we refreshed a brother? We're so busy. Refresh. You know what it means? It means drinking from the cool streams. On a warm summer day. Refreshed. He refreshed me not once. Often. Often. He did that again and again. Not because I was living in a palace. I was in the dungeons. When he did that. And look at this. He was not ashamed of my chains. Many of us we are ashamed of our brother's chains. Paul had physical chains. But there are many of us who have other types of chains. There's a chain of sickness in someone. There's a chain of sin. The person is still in sin. He was not ashamed of my chains. Are you ashamed of your brother's chains? I think the greatest enactment of the gospel was in John 13. Because after doing all this, after doing all this, Jesus went to the disciples and he said, I give you a new commandment that you shall love your neighbor as yourself 
And then he didn't stop there. He said something wonderful. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. I mean, what is the mark of a Christian? Francis Schaeffer wrote a book years ago, a small book, about 60 pages. The mark of a Christian, in which he says, love is the badge that Christians wear. It's not the cross. It's not the WWJD. It's not even the Bible you and I carry. Anyone can carry a Bible. What's the mark of a Christian? In fact, our brother was reading from John 17, verse 21, which says that you and I are to be one. And there is apologetics over there. John 17, 21 says that you and I should be one. And when we are one, now listen to this. And when we are one, the world will believe that you have sent me. I mean, as long as you and I refuse to remain in unity, the world is not going to believe that Jesus came. That's what that scripture says. Love one another. And look at the quality of the love. He says, as I have loved you. You want a definition of fervency? You might be asking, but brother, how do I love one another fervently? The answer is given there, as I have loved you. So therefore, the application for you over here is that, would you take time to look at Jesus? How he loved? And would you begin replicating that? If you and I begin replicating that, if you and I begin to wash each other's feet, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. If you and I begin to do that, the world will know that Christ has come from the Lord. I mean, we don't need any more apologetics. And we can't touch love without touching 1 Corinthians 13. We find it everywhere in greeting cards, in love letters. I mean, when someone is courting, C-O-U-R-T-I-N-G, courting, it takes 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 and says, love is patient. Love is kind. You find that on posters. In fact, we have one at home. But I want to draw your attention to the first three verses. And I'm talking to spirit-filled, tongue-speaking, gift, gifted, anointed 
bread of life, brethren. Let's read the first three verses. It says, though I speak. In fact, before every time we read 1 Corinthians 13, we should remember that that's a slap on the face of the Corinthians. Because they were fervent in gifts, much like you and I. They spoke with all manner of tongues. Tongues of men and of angels. And it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And look at verse 2. It says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt but have not love, it profits me nothing. In fact, in these three verses, Paul is saying that without love, I am a nuisance. Without love, I am a zero. Without love, I am empty. Paul is in fact saying that the brother who thinks that he has the least gift but has lots of love is better than me. See the point? You see the logic? Though I have all nine gifts operating in me but I don't have love, I am zero. I mean, in this church, we are richly blessed with gifts. But the question remains, do we have love? Now, quickly move to the second point shortly, very briefly. First Peter 2 says, laying aside all malice, all guilt, all hypocrisy, and envies and all evil speaking, desire the milk of the word. Which says that, the second thought over here is that, unless you and I develop an appetite for God's word, we have not begun to love. You and I need to have a healthy appetite for God's word. Look at those five sins mentioned. These five sins are sins against the neighbor. There's malice mentioned over there, which is the desire to harm someone. There is guile mentioned over there, which is deceit. There is envy mentioned over there, which is jealousy, which is raging jealousy. Envy, the same thing Cain had over Abel, envy. There's hypocrisy mentioned over there, which means that I'm pretending to be someone or pretending to have something that I really don't have. There's evil speaking mentioned over there, which means all manner of conversation designed to hurt. 
He says, lay that aside and begin drinking the word of God. And there's a beautiful phrase over there. It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I mean, do this all for the sake of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Who are you doing it for? Do it all for the sake of Christ. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Perhaps there's someone among us today who does not feel this love. From the pulpit, let me assure you, God loves you. And He desires to draw near unto you. If you have clean hands and a pure heart, the Lord would receive you. I also want to talk to them who feel that their love has grown cold. That you've heard the gospel now. You also heard it being demonstrated by Jesus. Where the righteous one washed the feet of the unrighteous. Where the sinless one washed the feet of the sinful. Would you talk to God to enable you? Enable you with love. Empower you with love. Endow you with love. That you may have opportunity to see every brother as a brother in need of love. When you go out of this place, when you see those brethren in our church and when you see them that are lost that you would see that these are people in need of love. When God looked down from heaven, He saw a bunch of people in need of love. The gospel empowers us to love one another fervently. It's the gospel. Would you go back to the gospel? Would you go back to the gospel? It's the gospel that helps us in our infirmities by assuring us that it is possible to love like Jesus. Even as we move in maturity. Until that perfect day comes, we shall grow in our love. But the gospel also admonishes us that it's not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit. We have not even begun loving unless we love beyond our differences. Would you tell the Lord that you want a greater capacity to love? Once again, God has reminded us Very simple command, but we need that reminder. Love one another. 
We are not called to judge. We are not called to decide who to love, when to love, where to love. God only says, love one another fervently. If God has spoken to you today, if the word which came through the mouth of God's servant, if it has touched your hearts, and if you think that yes, you need to put love up there, right at the top of your love, of your life, let's stand up right now. If you think that love is not for me, that love is for my neighbor, you may choose to sit down. Ask yourself this question. Can you choose today to love your neighbor? Can you choose today, husbands, can you choose today to love your wife? You answer that question, don't answer it to me. Wives, can you choose today to love your husbands? All of us here are children. Can we choose today to love our parents? Many of us have children. Can we choose today to love our children? Can we choose to love that person sitting in the office with you? Can you choose to love that person who is trying to pull the rug from under your feet? Can you choose to love that person who is out there stabbing your back? Your answer should simply be yes, because that's what the Lord has commanded you and me today. Love. Love your neighbor. Because the very simple thing is, as we have heard, you may be able to move mountains, you may be able to prophesy, you may have the gift of so many things, but if you do not have love, you and I are nothing. It's as simple as that. Do we take time to fellowship with those who are in pain? Do we see the pain of others? Do we enjoy the happiness of others, but don't look at the pain and the suffering that others are going through? You are called to love. You are empowered by the word of God. You are enriched by the word of God. Turn to the word of God in every situation. That's your doctrine. Let's not turn to the doctrine of men. Father God, we just want to thank you once again, Lord Father. You have spoken to us. You have reminded us so beautifully, Lord Father. So simply, you have reminded us of what you are all about, Lord. Everything about you is love. If it was not for you, Lord, where would we be today? If it was not for that love that you have